for joining me for the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson. All right, today's episode is with a longtime friend and returning multiple-time podcast guest, Sid Garza-Hillman. Sid is particularly cranky today. In today's episode, we're talking about his book, Six Truths, Live by These Truths and Be Happy, Don't and You Won't. It's a provocative title. And as I said, Sid's cranky. He is um, laying it out for us in ways that are sometimes hard to hear. But there's a lot of good stuff in here and a lot of things that are challenging. And I hope you will enjoy it and get a lot of value out of it. So without further ado, Sid Garza-Hillman, welcome back to the Plant Yourself Podcast. Good to be here, as always. Howie. <laughs> oh, you nailed it. <laughs> first and first time ever. I felt good. I felt like I was a clutch <laughs> player. Yeah. <laughs> we've, been, we've been preparing for this for our whole lives, right? Yeah. And you're you're one of the few podcast guests who's like more podcasty than I am. Like you've got your fancy mic and your headphones. And... I find it best to outshine anybody who's hosting me on their podcast. Right. Last time we do this. So you just uh, just this year came came out with a new book called Six Truths. Um, yeah. and, and the subtitle is Live by These Truths and Be Happy, Don't and You Won't. Um, and it's intriguing, and I put it on my shelf, and I totally ignored it for about <laughs> six months, <laughs> and then and then I decided I really because because we had a little email conversation, and I'm like I'm a, I'm going to get to it, and you're right. like okay, just making sure the publisher doing their job, yeah. and I kept on snoozing it, like I discovered the snooze feature in Gmail, and I was I just love the snooze feature, <laughs> and so we're like ah I'll look at it next week, next week, next week, and yeah. I don't know why I mean it's been a a busy year, but uh, maybe maybe I didn't want truths, you know? Well, sometimes we don't want truth. And by the way, is the snooze feature not the most indicative uh, technology of our time? I mean, it kind of, uh, <laughs> it's like the perfect solution to our uh, modern day craziness. I'm just going to snooze that down. I kick that can down the road a little bit. Kick that can. Yeah. yeah so, and there's, and there's a section in your book about can kicking. There is. Yeah. A lot of can kicking in that book. Yeah, no, but for real, you know, it's uh, get it done or, you know, not get it done. That sounds, that sounds way more raw, raw than it is in the book, but that's, that is part of, part of the message for sure. Right. On the other hand, the snooze feature has allowed me to stay at inbox zero for, uh, <laughs> for a good year now. It's got, there's some positives there. Good. Silver lining. So. <laughs> anyway, I just, uh, you know, finally picked it up and decided I, the the can was was no longer in you know roll kickable form it was yeah. flat Smashed. so uh, yeah. and I started reading it and I'm like there's a lot to talk about in here and um, I don't know if you're in the same space you were mentally emotionally when you wrote it but you're kind of pissed in this book aren't you a little bit I'm there's, happily there's... I'm happily pissed. Okay. I, yeah. I wanted to double I wanted to double check that. I'm like, Sid's cranky here. I'm a little I'm a little I'm a little curmudgeonly. And, that, and, and, and <laughs> it's absolutely true. Like I'm a very happy in my life person, but in the work, there's no doubt about that I wanted that to come true. I mean, that's why the subtitle is Live by These Truths and Be Happy, Don't and You Won't. It's a little bit like, uh -huh. you know, we can't can we swear on this podcast? Is this a no swearing please, podcast? Please, please. Okay. This is a little bit of a shut the fuck up kind of book. Like I, uh, you know, the the damage that quick fixes are doing, the damage that marketing is doing in the food realm and the exercise realm and the whole quick fix health arena, happiness arena is substantial. 
And I, and, and I just thought it, social media, perfect example, you know, the damage these things are doing to people pisses me off. You know, um, I doesn't make me unhappy as a person, but it definitely makes me passionate about the work I'm doing and the message that I wanted to bring in that book. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. that. I wanted to just lay it down. I wanted to write a book that did not mince words um, and, and have, but I also have fun with it in, in theory, unless you just don't like my sense of humor, but I did bring humor into the book. I designed it to be very, uh, grab a, grab a few day, few pages, put it back down kind of thing that somebody could just pick up and, and put down at random times. And so that was my mission. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's let's get into it because I I want to have some sort of meta conversations, but I think they won't make sense until we we actually talk about some of some of the truths. So I'm, I'm going to start. So it's, it's been out six months. Um, you've gotten some feedback, I presume, from readers. Um, can you tell me which like which truth uh, has gotten the most feedback, either positive or negative? Well, here's what's here's what's here's what's kind of funny. So do you remember in the book? I'm assuming you've memorized most of it. Um, uh, that that I take on comment culture quite a bit. Yeah. So what's interesting you turned about off your, you turned off your YouTube comments. Yeah, over a year, yeah, before, long before I read the uh, wrote the book, even turned off YouTube comments. I post a new video, no no comments. Um, I quit all social media in 2018. I have not read a single review of this book. Literally, not read a single review. Huh. And and I got some emails from people saying, "You know, read your book. I had some thoughts." And I go, awesome. Don't want to hear them. And it, and this is this is weird. And this is this is this is we're diving right into the heavy stuff here. It's not it's not that I didn't get feedback on the book when I was writing it. I gave it to friends that I trust. That I said, listen, be a hard ass on this. Read it. And they were like, this doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. That's good. Keep that. I use a lot of their comments and some of them not. But I really wanted to take to the mat this idea that everybody has a voice because they have a Twitter account that I have to lit. So what I say in the book is we have freedom of speech and I cherish freedom of speech, but we also have freedom of listening. And just because you can talk doesn't mean I have to listen to what you have to say. And we've gotten very comfortable with being an authority on everything. We can say something about everything. And I think that it behooves us personally to quiet down a little bit, to shut ourselves off a little bit from the world, to grab moments, I call it stealing moments, of solitude to think we are not i just did a video recently on intermittent fasting i don't know do you do intermittent fasting um every night <laughs> exactly so so i'm kind of an, maybe, an intermittent maybe not I'm, maybe not as long as some yeah yeah so but anyways i'm a fan and, and it's really helped me i more energy all the benefits are are true in my opinion I, and the work I, the research i've done on it i like it anyway i did a video on on mental inner uh, intermittent fasting that physical mm-hmm. intermittent fasting is great giving your body some time to not always be in you know input mode of shoving things in our mouths all the time but i think the same thing applies to how we live our lives mentally to not shove stuff into our heads all the time you know and i'm a podcaster i love podcasts but there's podcasts and social media and news and movies and tv and it's it's a constant information shove and i think it's taken us down in terms of our stress in terms of our lives quality of lives so the comment culture thing is a perfect example. I want people to look at my work, listen to my work, either dig it or don't dig it. If you don't like it, don't come back. If you dig it, great. But take what you get from it, if you get something, and use that in your life. I don't need to hear about it. The book's out. That's nothing I can do about it. I want them to either hate it and go, well, I suck, that sucks, and I'm not going to do those things, or go, that was really useful stuff. Let me apply it in my life. I think it was disingenuous of me for years to say, no, I definitely want to hear what you have to say about the book that I already put out that I cannot do anything about because I didn't. I don't care. I was just being nice. 
And I, hmm. I'm not, and I try to make sure that people know it's not a mean thing. I'm not disregarding them as people. They're great. I just, if I want your opinion, I'll ask for it kind of thing. And, and if, and that's what that is. And, I, and it's for their good as well as my good. You know, like I don't want to feel bad about something I wrote in the book that I can't do anything about now. Like I, it was, I was happy with it when I put it out. I've moved on and working on a new book. I don't want to really think about six truths. Like, you know, in term, not this, you know what I mean? Like in terms of redoing, re-editing the book, it's done. That ship's left the harbor. So it was a really tough nut, tough thing for me to sort of go like, I actually honestly don't care. Not about you as a person, but I don't care about your feedback. So long answer to your short question, which is the feedback generally has been good. I'm assuming, I mean, I can see I have five, almost five stars on Amazon, but I've never read a single review of the book. So I don't know what people are actually saying about it. Hmm. Okay. So, um, I mean, what's coming to me is that there's a, there's a, certainly a, a healthy lack of, uh, obsessive need for approval that I'm hearing from you. Right. Like one, Cor one of the things that I have felt when I go and read reviews, when I put a book out and I'm looking at the Amazon reviews, like one of the things I like, yeah, it's like stroke me, like, oh, oh yeah. that feels good. Pat me on uh -huh. the head. Tell me how yeah. much you loved it. And like as a, as a writer, I, I mean, I don't feel bad for liking that because writing is so solitary. Um, but I'm sure there's well, also. I agree with you. However, my counterpoint to that would be that I'm also happy when people say they're getting a lot from my book. They don't get into specifics, but they go, oh, your book's really been helpful and it's really kept me, you know, focused and I'm really feeling great about it. I go, great. I mean, that's a, it feels amazing. But that's to me qualitatively different than somebody saying, you know, in truth number five, you, you know, you said this one thing and it was the, you know, it's like the specifics of it. I think people are getting benefit from the book. I think it's like, I'm really happy with the book. Um, <laughs> but the, but the review, the critic, kind of thing is what I'm just not, I've just realized I'm not interested in. And that I felt like, I mean, I'm a long time musician and, you know, I put out albums and toured and, and, you know, it was always like that feedback thing. And, and most people could be really happy, but that one person that isn't, that's what sticks with you. And I didn't, I just got tired of the whole thing about this when it came to social media. That's why I quit. I was like, you know, 99 happy, really nice things. One person says something negative and that ruins my day. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know, like I don't like, uh -huh. I don't want to be anywhere around that anymore. It's getting in the way of my work, of my productivity. I want to be able to be honest and authentic in my work. And so I do need a certain semblance. And I'm sure you do too, during the writing of it, where I don't want to hear from anybody. I want to get really, and this goes for my songwriting too. I don't want to think, is this going to be a hit? What do you think about this? Is this going to be, should I be, I want to get true and if people dig it or don't, that's out of my control once the song's out. But I want to be as as inward during the creation process as possible. And this helped me in that regard. Not even being in the world of that, for the most part, like with social media, allowed me to really focus on the book and really get it the way I wanted to get it. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling that sort of it's much more iterative for me. <laughs> and, and, you know, it just may, may be the uh, the amplitude of the way we work. But I like feedback like, yeah, I want to be by myself and thinking, you know, about what's the truth here. And at the same time, like in the last book that I wrote, there were people who gave us feedback that during the writing that made it so much less worse, <laughs> you know, where like just huge mistakes we could, we could have made. So I think it, partly what you're saying is, who be be very stingy about who you let be your critic that's right oh yeah i had plenty of critics of my book i want to be clear about that again i sent the manuscript to a few people and said read this 
and tear it apart. So it wasn't like I was completely isolated in that regard, but I was definitely uh, mostly. And, and, and when I asked somebody to, for feedback, it was because that was a specific person that I trusted to be honest about what the, and they were looking at, they were critics criticizing it as a, in a, in, you know, a good way as a book, as a book, they were saying like, listen, this isn't going to read well. You know, I want to make sure my message comes through and, you know, you get so close to a piece of work that you can't have no perspective all of a sudden. And to, so at that point to getting it to the, to, to the editor that worked for the publisher, to the publisher himself, and to th- at least three more friends that I trusted and said, listen, you're a smart person. Can you just like, look at this thing and go, this sucks, you know, whatever. And then I, so there, it's not like I'm in full isolation, but there's a very big difference between that and opening up yourself to everybody who's an authority about everything. I mean, it's like, you know, I work at the, you know, at the Stanford Inn. When we get these reviews, it's not like I didn't like the food. It's like, this is what you should do instead. It's like, well, you're not a cook. You're not a chef. And even if you were, it's up to taste. And almost everybody loves what we do. So don't come back. I mean, why is it that we have, we don't just send a bad review. We, we also school because we're an authority Somebody criticized one time we did an Alfredo, like a cashew Alfredo. And he goes, I've been to Italy. Okay. So because you've been to Italy, you're a 100% authority on Alfredo because there's no variation of that at all. And because you've been to Italy, then therefore you have the cred. And that's what we become as a culture because of social media. We think we have, everybody should listen to us because we have a a free Twitter account. And that's a problem for me. I'm not going to try to control it. I'm going to try to control myself. And re- with regard to how I am around it, and can I shut myself off from it? Mm. <laughs> All right. I'm. I actually. By the way, this is my, it's my birthday today, Howie. So I don't hey. want you, you know, trying to, you know, get all mad at me about this book. You've got to be kind to me. It's my birthday. <laughs> so you do care what people think. <laughs> Happy I birthday, do. I care so. about what you think. I care about what you think. Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean it's 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 interesting because I, um, I use the, I mean I get the most ridiculous YouTube comments, um, mm-hmm. for for when I put out uh, videos. So, so somebody, this is going to be on YouTube presumably. Someone's going to make an idiotic comment about it, and it it's kind of like like you have a, a section about hard work. Like for me, mm-hmm. part of part of the hard work of my life is being okay with criticism. Like there, there mm-hmm. is a trajectory where any sort of criticism or the fear of criticism or the fear of withhold, withheld approval turn, has mm-hmm. turned me in, in to up inside out. And so mm-hmm. I actually use these comments to kind of as a meditation to kind of say, oh, like I'm okay. That person doesn't know yeah. what they're talking about. Or maybe they do and, I'm, and, and maybe they're completely right and I've done something offensive and it's okay. Like it's part of being human. Yeah. Like I, I got a wonderful comment a couple of weeks ago. I was on a, a sentientist podcast, which is sort of a vegan atheist podcast ba- basically. And um, I agree with elements of both of those without necessarily, you know, have being card carrying. And, but I mentioned it's like one of the, one of the issues that concerned me was, uh, current capitalism and the way it affects our lives. So I got a comment um, where someone's like, "Oh, another silly socialist shill." Like, ah, oh, uh-huh. yeah. that, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. Gee, 
Yeah. Yeah. You're going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't disagree with that at all, Howie. I'm not saying that I, I, I actually appreciate your approach to that, like using it as a meditation. It's not like I'm immune to criticism. I, people criticize me. It's not like I'm immune to making mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. I got enough of that in my own personal life, in my own personal circles, in my own personal work. Mm-hmm. Personally, to keep to get to keep myself open to the th- possibly millions, but in, not in my case, but because the millions of people aren't watching my videos, but to to that many random people became counterproductive for me. It wasn't that I think I'm perfect because I certainly don't. It wasn't that I wanted to shut myself from criticism because I certainly don't. But I wanted to regulate it and I wanted to make it, like you said, more more selective and more intentional and more thought-provoking and not just like that. To me, I know you use that as a meditation. To me, I don't have any reason or it doesn't benefit me to read some to some comment like that. It just doesn't. Yeah. It does. It's a waste of my time. I would rather get back to work of doing something else that I want to do. And so uh, it's a, it became a distraction. Social media became a distraction for me. I didn't want to even think about it. I didn't want to be on a run and run by something really beautiful and think that would make a good Instagram post. I wanted to get back to actually experiencing things and being involved in my life in that way. And that's why I made those moves. And they've been, like I said, really beneficial to me. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. All right, let's, let's, let's get into the, uh, the truths. So... Okay. The first one is basically you be the example in the world. So it's sort of a, you know, I'm mm. reading it as sort of a, a, an extended meditation on Gandhi's be the change you want to see. Why did you start right. with that one? Why did that one feel wh- whether, whether the first one was the most fundamental or the one you wanted to sort of tenderize your audience with? Why, why, and why, why about being the example was so important? Well, I do think it's the first and foremost, and I, and I want to be clear, like, it's not, and I say this in the truth, by the way, it's not that somebody has to be perfect. It's that somebody is at least has that on their radar of trying to be an example. My second book is called Raising Healthy Parents, and it's exactly what this is about. Um, I was on your show about it, but it's, you know, everybody, and again, this sweeps back into the comment culture thing. Everybody's Everybody's telling everybody else what to do, and I think there's not enough focus on what you are doing yourself in that regard. And and because there's two things that happen. One, if you're trying to be a better example, then you're moving towards something and you're improving and you're evolving as a person. That's amazing. But you're also realizing what the struggles are associated with trying to do your best and be the best version of yourself. How are you messaging? How are you communicating? How are you uh, spreading your message out into the world? It's too quick to tell everybody else what everybody else is doing wrong. Now, by the way, I will also say as a person, I also don't comment on anything. So it's not like I just shut myself from comments. If I don't like a book, I just don't read it and I don't talk about it to anybody. I mean, I stop reading it and I don't talk about it. I don't recommend it. I don't leave comments. I don't leave reviews at restaurants. If I have something that doesn't taste good to me, whoop-de-doo, I don't go back to the restaurant. I don't care and enough to spend a minute of my time commenting on that. And that's part of me in my effort to live an example for my kids, by the way, but also for my clients. And as I'm working with clients, I often reference myself, the struggles that I have. I just did an interview where two weeks, I was talking about this thing two weeks ago, I was eating some jelly beans and I literally was like, can you please take this away from me? <laughs> you know, like, and I, I'm a nutritionist and, and it's, hard to negotiate jelly beans because they're artificial and designed to make your head light on fire. And so, you know, I, I have struggles to eat healthy. I have struggles to maintain productivity and to exercise there. It's not easy. It doesn't come easy to me. So it's a better way for me to communicate that as an example 
not of perfection. It's easy. No, of imperfection, example of imperfection of it's okay to be imperfect. It's okay to struggle. Here's how I do it. Here's how I think you might benefit from doing it too. But my main focus, I've always said over half of my job is trying to be the best version of myself I can be. By the way, a large part of my marriage of 26 years is working on myself separately from our marriage. My wife does this too, so that when we are together, we are not resentful and having things hang over our, over our shoulders. You know, I'm taking care of myself. My wife takes care of herself. We do that so that the kids can see that you're, you don't set, you know, relationship isn't putting yourself on hold. You know, those kinds of things are important to me having I, that is on my radar of what example am I living right now? What example am I being right now? I always want to think, I always want forever to think about that in my own life. So yeah, that is the cornerstone of the six truths. Everything else sweeps under that. It's all is that part of what you are? Don't talk about anything until you are at least making a move to be the best example that you can be. Right. Now, you you wrote this not just for, you know, health coaches and podcasters. Like I get how and, we, and you and I have both seen, you know, we've been in behind the curtain, at, you know, health fests and the movement. And we know there's people who walk the talk and people who, whoops, that. That is. <laughs> that wasn't me. That wasn't you. That is Elon, whom you know. You know how I know that wasn't you. You know. You know how I know that wasn't me because I don't. That song sucks. You know my alarm is. Uh, Whole wide world by Reckless Eric. Have you ever heard that song? No, I haven't. But but do you think I'm going to oh, listen to it after you that's insult what, my that, music? That, you have another thing coming. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know that this was, was kind of a bad this song. Movie. This song Comic is um, nineteen. Yeah, right. <laughs> This is 1970s Israeli progressive folk rock. I, that's exactly what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. Um. Sorry. Where was we? Um, I yeah. have no idea. We're okay. Do, set the example. Right. So it's not just like I, I can get how like for podcasters and health coaches and people who are in the business of being yep. examples, how it's important for us to be examples. It's really easy for me to pose, right? Like, like I've done good things. I've succeeded at things. I have books. Like it's, it's easy for yeah. me to hide behind a reputation and really phone it in. But how does this apply to like your readers, to ordinary people who aren't necessarily setting themselves up as, you know, uh, as role models or for, you know, for, as part of their business? Oh, yeah, no, this has nothing to do with people who are coaches. This is, and, and podcasters, this book has everything to do with normal, regular people, raising families, going to work, being in relationships. This has, this is not the, the whole, this book speaking to coaches has not on my radar at all. This was people, this is a happiness manifesto. This is about regular, normal people being happy and healthy in their lives and mostly happy. And therefore health comes a little bit easier when you're making your know how to make yourself happy. So yeah, no, it had, no, it had nothing to do with coaches. This is about just living as an example in your own life, just period. You know, like how do you, do you like go to, to tell everybody else in your own personal life, you know, family members and you should do this. I mean, good Lord, you know, like nutrition mm -hmm. is a hilarious subject for me because it's so talked about by everybody who's not studied in nutrition. And, and by the way, 
many people who aren't even healthy have opinions about nutrition and are willing to just school everybody else on nutrition. I'm a nutritionist. There is a discussion of nutrition at my children's school that is flawed fundamentally, scientifically, research-wise. Nobody asks me, and I don't say anything because they don't ask me, but I'm like, I'm the only guy here who's actually a nutritionist, but everybody's talking about feeding their kids dairy for healthy bones. And it's like, and, but by, by the way, they're also unhealthy. So it's like, I, I don't know if it's my age and it could be, I'm 53 today. Did I mention that? Um, but I have a very, I'm getting a more keen bullshit detector as I get older. Like I don't listen to people who I at least perceive and they could be great. But if I do not have the perception that they are either trying or living an example, if they, if I don't look at them and go, well, that they're doing it better than I am, or they're doing it pretty well, I will listen. If I don't have that perception, I walk because it's, again, I don't have, I don't want to waste the time. I got too much stuff that I want to do in my life and also be with my family. So it is, it is for regular people. This is not for coaches. This is just normal people living their lives. Like what kind of example are you in your personal life? Not because you're a coach to somebody, but obviously we trade ideas and we trade, you know, advice. Are you doing it? How are you doing it for yourself first? That's how you know. Mm -hmm. And it says it reminds me a little bit of like, you know, Byron Katie has this concept of, you know, whose business are you in? Right. You're either in your business or in other people's business or in God's business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when, when you stop getting involved in other people's business, you actually discover that you don't have any business either. It's just. That's right. Like, just live your life and do your best. And I also think I also think that more people are influenced by who you are more than what you say. You know, and so I think I, th I definitely, I definitely think that in the parenting realm, I think that parents, you know, are better teachers as they develop themselves. And sh I always communicate my struggles with my kids. I communicate my fear with my kids, you know, that uh, not that they should be afraid of things, but that there are things I'm afraid of and that I, how I negotiate those things. I want them to see the flaws and the imperfections in me so that they don't grow up thinking, that they're doing something wrong by being afraid of something. It's absolutely normal. And how you handle it is it more a you know, defining characteristic who you are than that you feel fear in the first place. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, whose business are you? It's a great question. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I think you influence more people by setting a good example. You know, you can tell somebody, organize your life, but if you're cluttered, they don't give a crap because I, I would look at that person and go, fix your shit. Tell me, tell me what you had, how you got that done. If you can't get it done, why are you telling me how to get it done? Obviously, you don't know how to do it if you can't get it done yourself. You know, and I just think that's a, it's become more and more true day to day as I get older. Mm. All right. So number two is basically have a thick, thick skin, but not too thick. Right. And, and you start off by sort of painting a picture of modern culture um that's like everyone gets everyone gets a participation trophy mm -hmm. and helicopter parents uh, i've i've heard them i've heard of snowplow parents sort of like trying to yeah. stop every every problem and every issue and i'm really yeah. interested in that cuz i ha i am so mixed in how i feel about the critique of a culture of safety and i'm also yeah. thinking you know there's cuz there's there's a there's a political element that gets oh, sort of bolt, oh, bolted oh, onto Oh, this. yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I'm curious about how to have this discussion in a way that doesn't politicize it. It's hard not to politicize it, I guess, although I'm always coming at it from a philosophy back, you know, that's my background and training in, in school, but uh, it comes from that kind of angle. Um, I, you know, I say in the book, like, we need 
we need tougher, compassionate people. You know, oftentimes when you come from your life as a, as a, as a place of kindness, especially in, you know, look, well, I'll, I don't usually talk about this too much, but being vegan or if you're coming, if you're coming at it from a compassionate standpoint, an ethical standpoint, I think that that in, can infect, and I, that's going to be a pejorative word, but you'll see what I'm, where I'm going with this. I think that can affect and infect how you live and communicate. And it sometimes creates people who are a little too snowflakey, in my opinion, a little too sensitive and not tough enough. And I think for the changes that the world needs, there's definitely a, on one side, and this is where it's going to get kind of political, I guess, for people, but a one side of a digging your heels in as a, that's what's tough. And I don't think that's tough. I think that's weak to, to not be open to change and not to be open-minded. But that's why I say thick, thick in your skin, but not too thick. Because if you get too thick, you're just digging your heels in and you don't want this in anybody. And that's somehow in this crazy world we live in. That's, that's macho. And I think it's like the weakest standpoint you can be in. But there's also too thin too, where everything is setting you off. You're on attack for anybody who might make them. I'm, I'm, I'm so, it's exhausting to walk on eggshells. Like I'm afraid of everything I say because I'm going to get it. And, I, and it makes me make more mistakes. You know, like I, I just want to, I'm trying, you know, like the new pronouns thing, I'm doing my best effort. But if I make a mistake and say a pronoun that somebody doesn't want me to say, and I'll say whatever they want me to say, it's fine. But if I make a mistake, I don't want to get attacked for it. I just want a little bit of compassion and understanding that I'm trying, recognize it. I'm doing the best I can. It's a new thing for people. This is all new for everybody. Let's see what we can do here. Um, but it's, so it's become like, very wide spectrums. It's like either you're digging your heels in and you won't, you're not open to anything and you're just screw you to the whole world, or you're so sensitive to everything that nothing is getting done. And I think that there's a little bit of squeezing that can be done, which is thinning these people, thickening these people, and everyone can kind of give everybody a little bit of a break. Mm -hmm. How much of this do you think is new to our culture these days, or how much is just human nature that's just we're just seeing it more because there's more, you know, social media, more commute, more fast communication. I think that's true. I think that it's probably part of human nature for a long, but I think that social media and our access to technology has exacerbated and sped up that transition very, very fast. And I think that it's like, you know, Bill Maher was saying the other day, he got criticized by AOC for saying woke. And she's like, that's what old people say. And he goes, you just gave us that term like a few years ago. Give us a minute to move on. You know, like it's everybody's on attack all the time. And it's like, oh my gosh, just, you know, give us this slow, slow everything down just a little bit, you know? And so I think the speed of change is really, really tough for everybody. Not This isn't just for people who are older. This is for all ages. Things are changing at lightning speed. And because of social media because we have access to everybody in the whole world all at once today. And it's, I think it's, I think actually think it's damaging. Have you seen the, um, I've been talking about this a lot cause I think it's a brilliant piece of work. Have you seen Bo Burnham's uh, special inside on Netflix? No, no. It, it, you should watch it. It's, it's incredible. It was very much of a commentary of, on social media and the, and, did, and the effects of the digital world. He did the entire special in one room during COVID. So there's no audience. It's a comedy special, but it's actually really, um, really smart, uh, brilliant, I would, in my opinion, but anyways, and so it's really, really cool. So anyways, I recommend it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's, I think it's, I think it's hurting our culture. I really do. I think that we need to toughen up a little bit, not take, not be so sensitive about stuff so that we can negotiate the world a little bit better. I don't think that we would do well, uh, being, like I said, too thick or too thin. 
Mm-hmm. How, how much of this, you know, I'm asking this in terms of someone who works with with individuals who are very often in pain, suffering, wounded, trying to heal themselves. How much of this do you think is um, informed by trauma that, you know, like like it's easy for me to say, hey, toughen up snowflake. And yeah. yet without knowing like, you know, what their life is and what their internal nervous system state is and what they've been through. It kind of it kind of feels like I'm the last person in the world who who should be you know, judging someone else's reaction to, you know, an aggression, a microaggression, an injustice. And and yet at the same time, I'm like, you know what, we if we if we want it to change, we have to be ready to to fight or fight for you know, or, or ignore it because it's not the most important thing getting to, um, number point number five. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm completely with you. I mean, it's up, obviously it's an individual case by case basis, but there's certainly trauma out there for all of us. There's certainly things that inform how we react to things. But at the same time, I think that if you are in a state of, for whatever reason, so sensitive, you're not going to move forward in your life. And I think that for people who have trauma, that's when they get help like psychological help or therapy or some supportive, even dietary change, obviously, and exercise and things that help people strengthen. It's not just me going toughen up snowflake. It's like, learn how to take care of yourself in a profound way, not in a I'm attacking way, because that's the person who's too thick. Also, everyone's on attack. But if you go, let me turn a little bit inward and try to, if I have trauma, address it and get help with regard to that all in an effort to strengthen. Asking for help is a place of strength. That is not a weak place to say, listen, I had some trauma and I want to get help here. Why? Because I want to be stronger. I do want to toughen up. I do want to strengthen my skin and thicken my skin so that I can negotiate the world better and be kinder as in that way. And that's, that's kind of how I come out about that. But yeah, the trauma exists. Of course, of course it exists, but it's like, that's when you have to go, like, you don't just go toughen up. That's why the book is a philosophy book of like, what does it mean to be strong? You know, I wanted to ask that question, like, what is strength? Is it just being a thick skin and saying, screw you to everybody? No, of course not. I think that's the opposite. I don't think strength is the same as anger. It's easy to yell. I think that strength is, is being very clear about who you are and being able to stand on principle, even when that's can be painful and, and even tough, you know, really hard at times. And you learn how to do that over time by strengthening your and thickening your skin. Mm. Um, okay, then now we, we come to uh, truth number three, which is uh, social media ain't social. Um, so I remember we were we were talking a couple of years ago, right, right after you had quit mm-hmm. social media. Um, and, you know, there's, you know, you were sort of leading edge. There's a lot of stuff that's come out now that, you know, the sort of the, the social dilemma and like. You know the the uh, yeah. the Facebook whistleblower. Um, what what made you want to get off social media? Like, what was what was it doing that you saw as undesirable? Um, it was taking up an inordinate amount of mental real estate in my brain, and it was wrapped up in my own again, personal goal, which is to be the best example that I can be. I felt creatively stunted. I felt fragmented. 
my brain. I was trying to write my second book, Raising Healthy Parents. I couldn't focus more than five minutes before jumping onto YouTube or Facebook or something. I was like, I literally was, and I use the word literally correct in this case. I literally went to my wife and said, I'm worried about my brain. I can't focus. I'm writing for five minutes and I'm on Facebook before I even know that I'm on Facebook. It was scary to me. I lost the ability to focus for periods of time. I didn't have that for my first book. I was able to write for extended period of times, pre-social media. What changed? After my first book came out, I joined Twitter and I joined Facebook and I joined Instagram and I joined Strava and I joined LinkedIn because everyone said, you got to join these things. And I felt my brain partition. I felt it get fragmented and scattered and I didn't like it. I didn't like that feeling of lack of control. And I, and, and again, like I'm a musician, I hadn't touched my guitar in, I was a full-time musician for years and songwriting was my identity and did this. And then all of a sudden my guitar's in my case and never comes out. I'm not expressing anything creatively. And I thought, what would happen here? Now, as an example or an, or just an experiment in my own life, I didn't say, well, I'll just limit it, which I could have done. And I don't, and in the book, I'm like limited, you know, like intermittent fast from social media. It's fine. I took it to the edge because of what I do for a living and how I coach people. I wanted to see what this was like. I wanted to see what it was like to actually delete these accounts, not just put them on hold, not just limited, but actually delete all of them, which I did. Hand shaking when I deleted Facebook, like this. It was it was trembling when I hit the delete button. That's a weird thing, you know. Like I thought, this is not good for me. Just personally, not good for me. Now, what I say in the book is. My happiness went through the roof. I mean, I in the year after I quit social media, I, I wrote an entire album's worth of music. I'm going to Los Angeles in a month to record a new album for the first time in 15 years with my band. It it sparked juices flowing that ha- that had stopped, and but my career took a hit. My new podcast has a fraction of the reach that my first show had. My books aren't selling like bestsellers. I I don't have people beating down my door. I have a steady stream of clients, but they're not beating down my door. And so my, my career took a hit. My career took a hit because I turned myself off from that. My happiness went through the roof. My mm-hmm. life is so much better without social media, without even thinking about social media. It's been fantastic. I'm more creative in my YouTube videos. I'm more creative in my podcast. I'm really happy with six truths. That was all done in the vacuum of, from, you know, not vacuum, but uh, in isolation from social media. And I believe there's an absolute causal relationship there. Gotcha. Now, you just said you'd make YouTube videos, which is a, a social media platform. So what's the difference between being on social media and making YouTube videos? Yeah, I, I you know, at the time I quit social media, I didn't see so, uh, YouTube as a social media company. I, people have then since then said uh, YouTube social media. It never was that for me. It was It was like me posting podcasts to iTunes. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think that podcasting is a social media platform. I don't think that iTunes is a, you know, podcast is a social media platform. It's a place where I put my work up. I see. Um, but I did shut down comments for that reason. I didn't want it to be a social thing. I wanted it to be a platform people can listen to. Now, I didn't shut down comments on my, on my podcast. I don't look at them, but people can leave comments on my podcast. Um, I just... It wasn't for me that way. It was just a platform. It was like, people look, I don't think Amazon's a social media company. I put a book out, people comment on it. So for me, I just didn't see it that way. I wasn't, I'm putting out work and it's a platform for me to do that. I will say there was a period of time where YouTube was <clears throat> not treating kids well and had weird algorithms and all sorts of stuff. And so I quit YouTube for a period of time, went over to Vimeo, <clears throat> again, lost a whole shit ton of people. 
Um, and then when YouTube fixed their protocols, uh, I went back onto YouTube. And so, but yeah, I was off for YouTube for about, I think six to eight months. I was posting on Vimeo because they weren't, <clears throat> they were knowingly being crappy. And that was mm-hmm. another reason why I quit social media. I don't like the idea necessarily, but I also don't like those particular companies. And that's what's come to light since I quit, which is really what's going on here. Have you ever interviewed or talked to Cal Newport? I haven't. But you know who he is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he wrote Deep Work and he wrote Digital Minimalism. Mm -hmm. He has no social media either. And at the time I was writing my second book, I actually discovered Cal Newport while I was being distracted on YouTube. And he came up and I saw that video and I was like, holy crap, that guy has best-selling book. I don't have best-selling books, but he has best-selling book, no social media. I thought, what the hell? What's that all about? Read his book. And that was another inspiration for me to say like, can I get, can I get this done? I can always get back on, but what would happen if I got off and I have zero, I mean, zero desire to get back on. I have never thought, God, I kind of want to get not one time only because people say, boy, if you're on social media, you'd be able to promote your, blah, blah, blah. but I've yeah. never personally wanted to get back on. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, you know, the one thing I've done around that is when I, when I've taught courses, the easiest way to support the course is a Facebook group right? A sure. private secret Facebook group. And I have yeah, refused, I to, I've refused to do that because mm-hmm. I don't want someone to say, well, I best, I guess I better get on Facebook if I want to participate yeah. in this. So I'm, I pay money for, but you know, so like one of the things I worry about, like I, um, I do use social media to promote my business. And mm-hmm. I think I'm pretty good at not being like, I don't do the endless scrolling. I find Instagram boring. Um, Facebook, there's actually a few people that I sort of stay in touch with. I post objectionable articles that they object to, and then we have a fun discussion about it. Um, But I do feel like I I feel a little bad that I'm contributing to the success of the platform. Well, look, I mean, that's that is the reason why I'm not on it at all. So I got off it for personal reasons. But since then, people said, you know, you could just set up an account and then do ads. And that is the reason I don't do those is because I do not think that company is a good company. And I don't want to support that company, much like I don't eat meat because I don't want to support that whole rigmarole either. It is very much of an ethical decision for me that, again, is making me suffer financially. <laughs> but it's but it's sort of like, what do you, that's why six truths is what six truths is, is, which is like, there's happiness to be had in these kinds of moves. Um, so that's just for people to figure out for themselves. For me, it was a very clear decision. It was like, I don't want to support that asshole. I just, I'm sorry. I just don't want to. I don't like the company. I don't like what they're doing to kids. I don't like the whole algorithm. I don't like what it does to human beings in general. And so um, it was just, you know, what that was. I remember when, um, <clears throat> Matt Frazier and I co-authored um, a no meat athlete. It was called Health Made Simple, which he, you know, they've since canned it and did, did a fancier one. But, but anyways, it was very successful for its time. But we, th- he did a Facebook group at that time and I wasn't involved. And he said, we'll do a Facebook group. And there was a celebrity chef and who had members that joined Health Made Simple. And all of a sudden it was this vitriol and how things weren't compliant and all this. And I was like, this is why I hate this stuff. Don't sign up for it. I mean, good can we just don't do it? We will give you your money back. But why the vitriol and the anger and the this and the that? Like, I commend you. You put an article on Facebook and you get into it with people. I have no desire to do that <clears throat> to me. I don't want it. Well, I don't like it. Yeah. I've had clients with digestive issues that want me to fix their diets, but they're on Facebook five hours a day. 
And I'm going, the stress of what you are doing is making you have digestive issues. You're eating quite a good diet, actually. You know, and so it's like, it is taking people down. And by the way, you know, too, you know, at the time I wrote Six Truths, um, one of the leading causes of death, and I think it's still true, of kids 10 to 19 in this country is suicide. Yeah. And there is a component of that, which is social media, which is social isolation. That's why I said social media ain't social. It seems social, but it's not social in the way that we're designed as human beings to be interactive in a more limited fashion, not exposed to hundreds, thousands, and if not millions of people all at once. And I think it's hard for our brains <clears throat> to deal with. Yeah. And, and you know, in, in these discussions, they are not open to everyone, right? Like the, the minute someone posts, like, you, you know, this is my living room, like you can come in, yeah. I've invited you in, let's talk yeah. about it. Yeah. But if, if you sort of like barge down the door and tell me that I'm wrong and stupid, like you're not welcome here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's uh, I mean, what we're what we've learned about the algorithm, right, mm -hmm. which is basically AI, you know, we're like we're worried about AI one day controlling us. Well, AI controls us already. Oh, yeah. Right. Like like the AI yeah. algorithms and Facebook and YouTube and Instagram, you know, are. Pro promoting antisocial behavior for monetary gain for eye yeah, eyeballs and, and impressions and engagement yeah, and fostering anger because we know that that people click on angry things more than they click on positive things it's 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 they they look i i did a podcast episode a few couple years ago that this is the price we pay for wanting everything for free i mean these companies want to make money they know exactly how to do it. And as soon as we go, I want, I don't want to pay for anything. Well, they're going to go, well, we got to make money. So let me funnel people on YouTube to younger and younger girls, you know, because that will keep the clickbaits coming. You know, it's like, that's what we, that's what we get when we want stuff for free. You know, mm -hmm. we demand it for free and we're paying the price for it as a result. And so again, it's not a model I wanted to be involved in. Right. And also there's, um, you know, billions of Facebook accounts and yeah. Facebook doesn't make that much money per account. Like, right. like if they said, like, we'll, well, we won't keep a track of any of your data. We're just going to have this wonderful service where you can connect with people. It's a hundred bucks a year. A lot of people would say yes. You know, enough, maybe enough. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But wouldn't, wouldn't that, I mean, if you have a billion, billions of followers and people, everybody's paying a hundred, I mean, that's how Netflix makes multi-millions of dollars is because of people who subscribe, they would, they would do quite well financially. You know, it, it, it's it's that it is free. Uh, and then they go, how do we get people to stay on here as much as possible? Well, let's drip out the likes. You know, that was their first kind of deal. And that, well, let's let's uh, Facebook was always great of saying, we're just the platform, man. But they were involved in headlines and, you know, changing the nature of posts to make sure that it was more attractive to people. It was very intentional. Um, it, I've heard podcasts of people that were consulting Zuckerberg early on and saying, this is kind of shitty. And he was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it was just such a, uh, intentional thing of like, how do I get people to stay on this thing and be able to, and become addicted to it, frankly. And I felt that addiction. I felt it. I felt it very, very much in my own head. And I didn't like the way it felt. It would be like if I were, you know, drinking every night and all of a sudden I was like, I think I have to have a drink. Well, that is a concern to me, you know? And so I don't want to feel that way. And I was feeling that way about about that about that stuff mm -hmm. all right can we go to number four heck yeah yeah um so this one so you said like basically it's about hard work and right. and i i had a kind of a revelation around this maybe a year ago i was working with a group of people i was you know doing health coaching 
and I and people were not making progress. And hmm. so naturally, when that happens, I look at myself and I go, you know, what, what am what am I not giving them? What am what? How am I enabling it? And what Good. I realized was that I'm such a compassionate person <laughs> that somehow I had forgotten to remind them that this is hard work. Yeah. And that if you want success, you have to work hard. And it's it's so like right. like every everybody here's the weird thing like everybody kind of knows this in some aspect of their life. Like it's not like we live in a society that tells people don't work hard, but we don't apply it very broadly. Absolutely true. Yeah, I mean, I always tell people that do my small steppers program like I don't sell easy. I sell easier. I, I think my approach makes it easier because they teach people how to manage their stress around activities to make them be able to turn into habits. But it's hard work. You know, it's like we get it. We kind of get it. But here's the problem. Again, I'm going to come back to I'll sound like a little bit of a broken record. But in this information age and these access via our phones and devices to information of, of any kind, we can know that and be able to distract ourselves from that truth. So the, the, the knowledge of if I'm going to be healthy, I'm going to have to take time and actually change my whole lifestyle and actually become somebody who eats healthy most days. We sort of cerebrally, frontal, prefrontal, prefrontal cortex understand that. And then right on through social media is a diet that says, ah, don't worry about that. Just listen, do what I tell you, 10 pounds in 21 days. And we go, oh, thank God. Because that other thing of thinking is a nightmare. I don't want to do thinking. I don't want to do thinking. And I don't want to do thinking that's going to take me a year because I'm 50 and I've been eating really crappy for 50 years. I want this gun undone in 21 days. That's reasonable for me. And so that's the, the thing here. We don't want an inordinate amount of stress in our lives. We don't want that. And the capitalizing on that desire to not be super stressed and to not work super hard is a moneymaker for, for people, not me, but because I don't play that game, but that's what that is. And so they go, here's what you do. This doesn't take hard work. But as a responsible coach, what you are saying is, listen, it's hard work. And I sell it as a good thing because when you get gains, you earn them. They are real. You've taken the time. They feel amazing. They are the best things ever. A successful marriage is phenomenal. A successful marriage is deep and it's not without fraught and struggle, but it takes time. It takes energy. And it takes hard work. You cannot have a successful marriage without hard work. You can't be a successful parent without hard work. So it's like we understand that, but then we get into these routines where we're sort of shutting ourselves off from that hard work and we're seeing the effects of that on our stress, on our disease rates, on our lifestyles, on our quality of life. And when you shut yourself off from the reality that it takes hard work to get a happy life and a healthy life in, if you open yourself up to that, you're killing it. If you don't, you're not. And that was, again, part of that book is like, listen, Take this pill, man. Swallow this jagged pill. It's going to be a little bit brutal. Good. Because when you get there, you're going to earn it. And you'll feel really, really good for the work that you put in to get there. And at the same time, especially with the, you know, the last two years of pandemic in the rearview mirror, um, like you're saying like these companies, you know, and these, these industries want to tell us, hey, just take it easy. We'll sell you the next thing. At the same time, they're also like the fact that it's not going to work is going to increase our stress, which makes oh, us better totally. consumers for the, right. Like the more stress right. we're under, the harder our lives are, 
the more people are worried about income, about community, about politics, about fear, you know, the more people, the more yeah. we are fearful and fragmented, the harder it is to follow your advice and say, like, let's do hard work, because like the last thing I want to do is make my life harder. Yeah, this, it's funny. I talk about this in the book, but the stress, there's stress of living, but then there's the stress that we put on ourselves to either avoid that stress or to build ourselves up to be afraid of that stress. And we end up compounding the amount of stress that we're under because we're so anxious about the hard work. If we just said, this is going to suck ass. I do cold therapy every day. I've been doing it for four years. I just bought a few months ago a cold plunge tub that is 39 degrees and I get in every day. I'm going to do it after you this. Send me the link to that. I'm, I will. I love I'm it. Us, I'm, using an, cold, I'm I, using an ice bucket and, and I have a tub yeah. in the backyard that, um, that gets this really grody. This, yeah, this thing's killing it. It's got a filter. It saves water. That was my thing. I'm, we're in a drought in California. I was like, I don't know what to do. Like I take a shower. I would do a cold shower every day. Like most people shower every day, but I was like, I don't do anything. Obviously I don't shampoo, but I just would go in for the cold of it. And I thought, and it wasn't as cold as I wanted to get it. So in the fifties, cause I live in Northern California, but this thing's 39 degrees. It is not screwing around. And so, and so anyways, but my point is, is I get in every day and every day <clears throat> I have dread around it. Every day I go, I don't want to do this. I do not. There's not been a single day, not once in four years since July 15th of 2017. I've done it every single day with, 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 with the exception of one single day over the summer where I just forgot I was busy and I was actually, my back was bothering me and I just was like, Oh my God, I didn't do it one day. That's weird. But anyways, Every day, 100% of times, I have thought, I don't want to do this right now. I've never thought, I cannot wait to get into that cold. Not once. And I get to play that game every day, the mental training of that game, which is at some point, a switch goes off and I go, I'm doing this. And my stress goes down. I accept the, the reality that's going to be uncomfortable. And then the overall experience ends up being positive. It's all the buildup of knowing this is going to suck that is worse than the sucking of itself. And I, I like that five-minute time in that tub where I transition from the uncomfortable of it to getting used to it to getting out and being happy 100% of times because 100% of times I've dreaded it, but 100% of times I've been happy that I did it. And that's just that little micro battle that helps me negotiate the hard work of life, which is it's going to be hard when I can be in a place where I can accept that and take it on then I'm not adding stress of trying to avoid it. I'm just accepting it and doing it. We try, we had so much stress to avoid the stress that if we just accepted the work, the work that's done and necessary, we'd be in all overall lower stress state because we wouldn't have stress upon stress. Yeah, I've, I, I've, I do the ice bucket, which is the same thing. Like it's, you know, it's the first, I'll meditate and then do the ice bucket. That's, and, that's what I do, I, essentially, yeah. And... Every day I have another set of re like my brain is telling me why I shouldn't do it today. Oh, I've organized countertops uh, in an effort not to get into the cold plunge. <laughs> I better organize this countertop. Here's what I figured out is at some point, the moment I convince myself not to is when I have to go do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I just was, oh, I'm working on a new book and I just was writing about that thing of you know, they say it's best time to meditate is when your mind is on fire. I think the best time, I just did a three-day water fast. Oh, that's right. I talked about it on my podcast. I did. I just did a three-day water fast. And I think it was the best time for me to do it because holidays, usually when I'm like, whatever, and I was like not feeling that good and I started not sleeping that well and I was eating too much and I thought, this is the right time. You know, so I think you're, I think it's exactly those sort of like, we're, we're swaying a little too wide here and we, we intentionally and consciously, not for restriction, not for beating ourselves up, 
but to recheck and to reground. And that's that little moment I have every day. So do you do, do you have like a, is it electric or do you actually get ice out of the freezer and put it in the freaking bucket and load it up every day? No, I let nature do it. I just, um, I just fill the bucket at night. Okay. Oh, I see. In, in the morning, there's ice on it, and I. Oh, because you just live in cold. So in the summer, that wouldn't happen. Right. In this, yeah, and so, so yeah, so I do like whatever the ambient temperature is in the morning. I see. And so it's it actually it's actually interesting that like that when I would most welcome the ice, it's not that cold. But then, yeah, like, right. there'll be a morning, like, it'll be in the 70s, and then it'll be in the 40s one morning. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to do it anyway. Well, I've gotten in, yeah, I've gotten in recently in, you know, 39-degree weather outside, you know, and the tub's 40. It's about the same. Or, like, in a rainstorm, you know, sit in a, sit in a cold tub during a rainstorm. You know, that's a whole other world. And those are just, to me, little exercises, you know, of mental toughness, you know, trying to, again, thicken my skin, you know, to kind of, like, accept what that challenge is. And then just kind of focus, calm myself, and just, I'm doing this. It's going to happen. Get in, feel good, get, get out, you know, feel good after I get out and move on with my day. And it's just, it's been really, really rewarding in that regard. There's physical benefits to cold plunge and that's fine. But to me, it has been way more of a mental uh, benefit than it has physical over the years I've been doing it. Yeah, I was just listening. I don't know if you listened to uh, Andrew Huberman's podcast, the Huberman Lab. I know of him because, okay, so he has the exact model I have. He has the cold plunge. He's folk, he, He's on their webs. I'm not connected to them. Anybody listening to this, I'm not, there's no affiliate, no nothing. Okay. But if you go to the cold plunge, he's got a, he's like the one who gives them the protocols. It's that guy. So he has the exact gotcha. hub I have. Gotcha. Yeah. So he, you know, he was talking recently about stress and fear and some research that, we become much less reactive to stressors in our lives when we proactively chase stress on our own terms. Correct. Hormetic stress. Right. And it's not, it's not just, I mean, it's not just that it's the stress that is hormetic. It's our relationship to it. That if I put myself in this position, then that tells my body at some deep level that I can handle it. That's correct. Yeah. And the only reason I say hermetic is because it's a short term burst enough where it's not consistent and long to actually weaken us. But yeah, it's, it's an intent, but there you're right. It's yeah. You can have hermetic stress that isn't in that same vein, but yeah, when you actually say I'm doing this and you calm yourself down, I don't, and I'm sure you don't either. That's why you meditate first. I do a series of breathing exercises and I'm an oxygen advantage breathing instructor. I've done that over the last year and, 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 coaching people now and breathing, which I love. So I get into kind of, I get into my breath and I actually, I don't get in going, oh God, this is going to suck. I, I, by the time I get in that tub, I am resigned to what is going to happen. And I'm actually able to, I think it's very cool. I feel it more. I don't try to avoid the cold. I don't go, I got to make sure I'm super hot when I get in. I actually feel it. Yeah. And I realize it's actually doable. I'm able to do this. And I think that that is helping me mentally in other parts of my life. Right. I want to pick up on one thing that you said almost, almost as an aside, which I found really interesting, was that one day you didn't cold plunge. You just forgot. I have been meditating twice a day since April 12th, 2019. And mm-hmm. part of me lives in terror of the day that I forget to do it. <laughs> like, like there's a story in my head. Like if I ever forget, like that will be the end. Like that will sort of crumble the edifice. And I'm really curious about the day after you skipped your plunge, whether, you know, whether any of that was going through your head, whether. Oh, totally. Yeah. Two things happened. So my back, I had torn my TFL, my tensor fascia latte. I pushed it too hard and I was doing like heavy lifting and 
it was whatever house around the house. There was some events at the resort. All of a sudden I woke up one morning and I like couldn't stand up straight. And I was, it was, I've never had back trouble in my life. And for six days I couldn't stand up straight. It was scared the shit out of me. Um, so I'm back into strength training and kind of taking it easy and all those kinds of, I'm fine. I've been running and I'm training for my own, my own race and all this kinds of stuff. But it was in that one six day where, I was really feeling it and I was doing cold therapy because I do it every day and I was sitting, I didn't have the plunge at this point I was doing in the shower, laying in the bottom of the tub, you know, it was, it was ridiculous. But anyways, and so, but it felt good. And so there was just one day where I woke up and I was like going about my day and I was like, I do my cold therapy. And I went, wait a second, I don't, I didn't do my cold. I mean, this is within the last three months. I'm not even kidding. So over four years of actual every day, not never missed a day. I missed a day. And it wasn't because I was too busy. I just slipped my mind. And so here, there's the duality of our human, crazy human brain. One side of me, I go, okay, so I missed a day. The other side of me, okay, so let, maybe, maybe I do two today and then I can still tell people that I've done it every day. Is Maybe there's a way I can, uh, is there a way I can fix? I'm like, what is happening to me? Am I that guy who has to be the everyday person? So I have a history of militancy that I have done very good work. I have to say, my wife will agree where I have loosened myself. I still hear that messaging, but I don't act on it. I'm the guy who's like in the cold tub and I go, I got to get to six minutes per. And sometimes I purposely will stop early just because I don't want to, I see where that's going. And I've actually been injured um, years ago as a runner because I ran on a day that I shouldn't have run. I was exhausted and I was cold and I was underslept and I was over caffeinated. And the training plan said, run this on this day. And I was disconnected and I ruptured my Achilles tendon. And I was like, this is the stupidest thing because a piece of paper that doesn't know who I am says I'm supposed to run. So I got to run. So it's been a, again, these are the struggles that I'm under that I'm clear about who I am deep down. I'm not a guy who's tied to those kinds of things who can take a day off. Um, and so I, it was good. It was really, it was actually like really a good day. I was like, that's kind of cool. It was, wasn't for any reason that I just kind of forgot. And then I was like, I forgot. And I talked about it on my podcast. I was like, I missed a day. That's good. That's a good thing. It's not going to hurt me. It's going to be fine. The reason why I do it most days is because it's five minutes, you know? And, and sometimes I, I've had days where I go, ah, and I go, that's eh, five minutes. You know, it's always been that like, it's not five minutes. you know, it's five minutes. Yeah. You know, people take showers every day. I do a cold shower. It was no more time out of my day than anybody else takes. So that's the reason why it's been easy for me to do. Frankly, meditating twice a day. I don't even know if I could pull that off. Like that's a feat more than I think the five minutes of cold plunge that I do. You know, if you're doing something like TM, you're probably doing 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, that's 20, 20 minutes twice a day. Yeah, that's ma massive. I don't, my cold plunge is nothing like that. I get into, I, I get into a tub for five minutes and I get out my body is bright red and I, <laughs> when I dry off and I go to work, you know, so it hasn't been hard to do that every day, but it was actually kind of fun in retrospect to miss a day and ha and hear the mental chatter of how do I fix this in the world? Do I, I don't want to lie about it, but if I do two in one day, maybe I can just say I have averaged one time, you know, it's like, I got shut up. I said, right. to myself, shut up. The, the part of you that was addicted to social media is still chattering. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And I was like, shut up. That's not who you are. Your what your voices that you're hearing right now is not who you are. Shut up, shut up. And then, <laughs> then I went the other side and, and got on my podcast immediately. I was like, I missed a day, you know, because I'm like, that's who I am. I'm okay to miss a day. It's going to be all right. Right. And I'll tell you know, so I, I mentioned I've been I've been meditating now two and a half years. It was two days ago for the first time that I had the realization that I could like I basically have been meditating, wishing it would be over. 
like I'm doing this. It's good for me. It's basically like yeah, like yeah. like you ever do yoga where you're just holding horrible poses and you're like, oh yeah, is the hour up yet? And like yeah, yeah. that's oh, that has been time. that has been my approach to meditation. And I've yeah, I've read Bliss More and I've done all these different things. But like two days ago was the first time I thought, you know what? This actually feels wonderful. Nice. Like nice. Like it feels very luxurious. Like one thing Josh Lajani taught me was always return your cart at the supermarket. Like mm -hmm. don't just push it up on the bank. Like walk it back as an act yeah. of of generosity and gratitude. And so now I, every time I yeah. do that, you know, it's taking time out of my day. I got to get moving. Yeah. But I'll take yeah. maybe two, three minutes. And I do th that walk is like a, a gratitude meditation for legs. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, and, great. And I realized like, oh, like. I mean, you know, it's taken me this long to kind of recognize that, oh, meditation is something that I can do for joy and not just because it's good for me and it hurts. Yeah, because it said so in a book and you got to get through it. Exactly. And I think that it takes time to get connected to our actions in that way. I, I, I think we discover that. Again, that's why I'm such a proponent of solitude and moments of solitude, time of solitude, of silence and, and, and meditative, you know, Meditate in a cold plunge tub. Meditate in a cold shower. That's meditation. Mm -hmm. It's easy enough to sit on a pillow in a nice warm home. But when you're in 39 degree weather and you can still come into your breath and quiet your mind, that is some serious shit. And I, and I love it. I love, that's why it's for me, it's been way more mental than anything else because it's enabled me this, that's why I ultra run. I'm a horrible runner. I've never been a good runner. I'm not a good runner, never will be a good runner. But I ultra run. And not because I've got a talent. But because I also appeal that that whole struggle appeals to me on that level as well. Not because I'm a glutton for punishment, but I like being putting myself into a situation where I am broken down a little bit, where where some of the noise is torn away, and I can exist in a little bit more of a quiet state. And and I think it takes effort to do that. I don't think that the world is going to hand those things. At least I don't. It doesn't to me. You have to grab those things, and that's when that's been very valuable for me as a as a human being. Yeah, which also um, I think speaks to the definition of hard work, which is like I'm curious what what it is for you because I think of lots of work that I do that other people would think of as hard work that I think of as fun or playful. Like what mm -hmm. you know when you say like you know do do the hard work, what what defines that for you? Um, it's present and aware, I think more than anything else. I think it's, I think diets, you know, I'll use diet as an example, but, um, you know, when people go on a diet, it, it, it is work, you know, you got the recipe list and you got the recipes and you got the, this and the, that, but to me, that's not hard work. That's a distraction from hard work, which is the mantra I've been using for a few years, which is mind first, body second, you know, before you do an act one of changing your diet, think, get clear on who you are what you actually want to do in your life, that that's hard work to me. The hard work of being in a relationship where you realize, oh, I have been acting shitty. That That's hard work. Like that's hard work. Uh, you know, re realizing you've made mistakes, it, learning how to admit mistakes. I've been horrible about admitting mistakes. I'm getting better at that. <laughs> I'm doing the work of just no effort of trying to cover it. Just going, I screwed that up. 
and it feels very liberating, but it's taken me years to get to that point where I can even do that. I'm not perfect yet. Not even never, no, never, I, I never will be, but I'm trying, I recognizing that that's a thing in me that if I just go, I screwed up that the world isn't going to collapse around me. And that if I take a bunch of effort to get out of it, I'm causing myself more stress and I'm being a worse human being as a result of that. Again, living the example, et cetera, et cetera. But that's what that is. That's the hard work for me mm-hmm. is the thinking of it is being present in that work. Now, there's also a very logistical, mundane kind of hard work, which is writing a book. Uh, we love the idea of being a writer. It's very romantic. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do eight. I'm going to work for eight hours. Well, you know better than I do because you've written way more than I have that when you actually get to the nuts and bolts of sitting down in front of your computer, it's not pleasurable. You know, when you're working at one in the morning and you're on a deadline and you're trying to keep yourself focused and your freaking eyes are, you know, it, that's the hard work. That's what it takes. And I talk about, in LA, you know, I lived in LA for 20 years and coffee houses were full of screenwriters who never wrote screenplays. You know, everybody who has loves the idea of who they are without actually doing the hard work of it. And that's where the happiness exists, I believe, not in how you see yourself, but what you are doing as a person. What are you actually producing? You know, and that's, again, it all tied in that whole book, but me shutting myself off from these things allowed me to get more productive and more in touch with the hard work of living a good life, being productive, writing songs, writing my books, working on podcasts, improving my skills in my personal life and all these kinds of things. It was all part, part of that. So that's to me, the hard work of it. Also, it's action. It's doing things mm-hmm. more than it is saying things. So for, for me, if I, I want to translate that chapter um, I think of it as hard work is being willing to tolerate unpleasant feelings, sensations, emotions. Discomfort. discomfort. Yeah, dealing, being more comfortable with discomfort. Mm-hmm. Not trying to make it go away. Accepting it and managing through it. Fear, anxiety, stress. Learning how to negotiate those things. Learning how to accept that they are part of living in an in a ever, ever more crazy world but doing it better because you accept it and are willing to wade through that. And, and, and I think that has definitely paid off for me, but you know, a lot of this book was inspired by my client work, you know, learning clients who've come to me after yo-yo diets because they want the change, but they don't want to do the real work of the change. And then, and having them have that light go off, called the matrix moment from the movie, you know, we, he finally sees everything digital. There's a moment in my client work with most clients where they, the light switch goes off and they say, Holy crap, this is what this is about that sometimes I'm going to eat something that's pretty good, but it's not that good. And I don't care because I know that it delivers me the health and happiness I want. And that I also will have a treat on Saturday night, but tonight I'm going to eat something that's not so good. It's good enough. And that's a whole nother world of joy. That is a whole nother world of, you know, like people go the impossible burger. I don't really like it. It doesn't taste exactly like beef. I go, who gives a crap? Like, first of all, it's junk food. But second of all, is it good enough? What, you know, are you eating something that's good enough? Is it horrible or is it just sort of not as great? Well, because if it's super great that you got to have all the time, you're looking for a drug basically. And I think you're shut, probably shutting yourself off from ex- an experience of life that is full, which is means the good and the bad. So again, it's that negotiation, uh, you know, it's, it's okay. You're going to be fine. And when you realize that, and through my small steps approach, I'm easing people into this, but all of a sudden they see what they can do. Then they're able to do it themselves. They realize the strength has been in them all the time and that having a salad at night, one night as a test, sometimes I do, I go have a salad, you, curse my name, scream at me, swear at me how miserable you are. Never one of them, not one of them has ever said it was miserable. They go, yeah, it wasn't too bad. 
but they've just never tested the waters. They're like, it wasn't that bad. You right. know, it made them present and aware around food and they were able to enjoy their spouse's company for once because they weren't distracting themselves, you know, that whole picture. So the hard work of this is, is the attention of this for sure. Right. And yeah, and I've had, you know, interpersonal experiences that were so intolerable that I avoided them for decades. And then when they happened, I was like, oh, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> I know how much we push off a discussion. We will cause ourselves stress for years, even though in five minutes that discussion could have been resolved and we could have moved on. And probably there's a misunderstanding there too, but we don't even get to that point. And I get it, been there, you know, but it never serves us that well. So if, if we can teach ourselves to sort of get in that cold plunge figuratively, um, get it done, then we usually come out the other side better off for it. All right. Well, we've been talking for over an hour. You are no, 53 today. So you absolutely need to go and have fun and celebrate and do lots of fun, hard work. Or, or, or in my case, go to work. Uh <laughs> so I think we're, we're going to leave people with uh, truths five and six to find out for themselves. The book okay. is Six Truths. Um, I assume it's available not just on Amazon, but uh, do, you, do you sell it on your website or can people order it from? It's it's pu it's published. So it's in, I mean, if you're, it's distributed by Ingram, uh, by Publishers Group West, um, it's Ingram. And so it's out and about. If it's not in your store, they can order it or whatever. But yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Powell's. Um, I mean, I have probably five copies in my house, but you could always email me if you want a copy. <laughs> but anyways, but yeah, it's out, it's out and about. All right. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's the, um, I would say it's the cold plunge of philosophy books. It's, it's going to, it's going to tell you things that are going to be very helpful that, you know, they're not easy truths. That's right. They're not easy. This isn't easy. You know, what we're doing is to live, if you want to live a good life, it's not easy. It's easy to shut yourself off. It's, I get it, but it's not easy to live a good life, but the reward is huge. And it's huge. And, but you just got to at some point, and I'm grappling with some myself, accept that truth that it is hard work. Right. Yeah. And part, you know, part of number one of being the example is to recognize yeah. that, you know, I'm imagining you wrote this book for yourself as much as for anybody else. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I, like I said, I try to live, I try, I, most of my job is trying to practice what I preach, you know, because I don't want to be the guy who goes, you should do this, you know, and, and I'm going to go fly on first class, you know, you know, whatever I want to be boots on the ground and see, you know, communicate those struggles that I have. Cause they're very, very real. All right, cool. How can people find you if they want to learn more, get coached, beat down your door? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, the first thing you can do is if they want to find out more about my approach, they can go to smallsteppers.com. There's a free six-part video series that will then lead them, if they want, to my 12-week online program, which is phenomenal. And I do live Q&As, and it's super fun. But some people want a more one-on-one -on -one deal. So you can go to smallstepintensive.com, and you can even have a you know sign up for a 15-minute free talk with me to find out the details of what that 12 weeks, it's 12 weeks, but it's day to day, literally day to day, every single day during the 12 weeks, uh, in touch with me as a coach, um, smallstepintensive.com or sidgarzahillman.com is a good portal to my YouTube channel, my podcast and things like that. Excellent. All right. All those will go in the show notes. Cool. Um, anything you want to say that I haven't asked about? No, um, I called you Howie twice in the podcast. I feel like that was a big thing that I did, did today by staying aware. And um, it's always good to see you. I tell the story. Do we have time for me to tell like a two-minute story? I, I got time. 
Do you remember when I first met you in person was in Texas? Yes. We were at the Marshall Veg Fest and we were on a panel. And this is when I began to, I really, I always, I always liked you in our interactions, but I was like, how is my dude? Now I called you Howard at the time because I hadn't evolved yet, but well, that not, was- Neither had I, neither had I. Right. And so, <laughs> so we're sitting next to each other and there's a crowd of people, it's like 300 people. And we're on this panel with a few people and somebody in the, in the crowd said, what is your opinion about red wine? And the celebrity chef was there, grabbed the microphone and she said, never touch red wine, never drink wine ever, ever, ever. And this doctor behind us grabbed the microphone and said something like, and I'm not even exaggerating, uh, a study just showed that a glass of red wine a week or a month raises your risk of breast cancer by 30%, some crazy thing, right? And I lean over to you and I go, well, what the hell were those people eating in that study? That was my first red flag. You grabbed the microphone and you said, you know, what's interesting about pretty much every blue zone in the entire world is that they all drink alcohol. And it was just this great mic drop moment <laughs> of like how crazy we are becoming that you are scaring the shit out of somebody to drink a glass of red wine a month. And you were just like, yeah, every blue zone drinks. And it was like this moment where I was already in deep in my work of small steppers and, and really stress. And I realized this is about stress more than it is about anything else, because the people who are living the longest, have a, they're not drinking all day, but they're having a glass of wine and they're enjoying themselves. And it was just this great, like you were just, because you're so understated, you're just like, yeah, but every blues on drinks. And there was just this, nobody could say anything. And it was just like, oh, that's absolutely paradise. Right. So I tell that story all the time. <laughs> I've forgotten that. But, you know, it's funny because I can also see ways in which I have been dogmatic and doctrinaire in, in my uh -huh. teaching. And the more, the more I learn, the less I know. Well, it's interesting when you hear interviews of people who are in their hundreds, you know, 110, they always, if you expect them to say, well, I just eat sprouts <laughs> and, um, and kernels of, you know, you know, pumpkin seeds, but they're always like, I drink beer. I, you know, I, you know, they're like, they're never that. And I, and I, I've really, that's why I wrote six truths by the way, cause it's not a health book. It's a happiness book. I think that ultimately it's about managing our stress and keeping ourselves happy. And then under that umbrella, it makes it a little easier for to treat ourselves well in how we eat most times and how we exercise and everything else. But it's happiness. And I, I, I idealize, and it could be wrong, but my perception is that these people have somehow forged a life where they're able to recover from stress and deal with stress better than some other people. And you can have a very healthy diet and be very stressed about food. And I think that that's, you know, I'm kind of seeing that more and more. So it was just this great moment where you're like, you know, we could also just calm down about this and have fun yeah. and eat well most of the time and have a glass of red wine with your friends and not worry about it so much. And I thought that's really cool. So. Right. Well, yep. We, we have, uh, we've reached out to each other for sanity checks. <laughs> I think we've done that. I think it's exactly what we've done. Sanity checks is exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. Well, Thank you so much. It's, um, I mean, the book is such a great reminder for me. Um, and there's definitely parts in there that challenged me and that I wanted to argue. But since it's your 53rd, I'm, you know, decided. <laughs> and, and it's okay, right? On, yeah. You know, your, uh, your point about social media, it's, it's, it's okay to read things that I don't 100%, you know, agree with all the time. That, uh, that's, a, that's, right. that's another form of mental discipline. And not only that, Howie, but I would love to have you, like you would be somebody who I would love to hear and get into a debate about. 
like I would love, I just, you're not, you're, you're somebody I highly respect and, and is more intelligent than I am. And I would love to hear that, you know, so I, it's not like I'm a po, I just want to get into it when it's substantial and real rather than a throwaway comment because somebody had their fingers on a keyboard, you know, like I, this is what I love. I love the back and forth, the real substantial back and forth about this. And so I'm happy to have you go, this sucked, you know, and then we can have a talk about it and it's fun and it's light and we're thick enough skin where we can listen and communicate and have fun with it. And that's really, really cool. And I'm just trying to foster more of that in my life on a personal level even. Yeah. Well, I mean, just for, from my perspective, you know, I, I read books by people I disagree with. And, that's right. you know, like one of the ways I would, I'll drive myself crazy is I will, you know, read an article by Ibram Kendi and then an article by John McWhorter about race. And I'll go, God, I agree with both of them, hundred percent. And they're they <laughs> yeah. t- they totally disagree with each other. Like, yeah, yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, yeah. have you I read what, mean, one of the things you reminded this book reminded me of? Do you know uh, Jesse Single? I don't. He wrote a book called The Quick Fix ab- oh, about wow. um, lots of sort of social science solutions that get you know thrown at much bigger problems. Um, like, you know, implicit bias testing. Um, I, I don't have the book off the top of my head, but just, you know, chapter after chapter about ways in which we're trying to solve, you know, like feel good, um, pop psycho- psychology, stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know. Yeah. And I read his, um, he has a, a sub stack that I, I read and I just generally just don't like his like, I don't like him. Like, from <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I think yeah, he's wrong yeah, about it. a lot of stuff. And, yeah. and I just, I really value having those inputs in my life and noticing where I am, where I'm prickly. Yeah. Right. Where, where, where the part, where the, the, the monster in me that thinks I'm better than somebody else gets to arise and observe that. Right. And now, now here's my question to you. Do you feel the need when you disagree with him to go on his platform and say, I disagree with you? See, because my point is, is that that's how I want people to see my videos. I want them to go, that's ridiculous. I totally disagree and walk away from that with that knowledge about themselves and about how, and allow that to affect what they do. Yeah. And, and so no, I, my, that's why that's it. My urge is to get him on the podcast and, and well, or, or, or that, which is cool too, but you don't go, yeah, you know, like, and that's dump, dump my thoughts because I'm d- uncomfortable that I didn't like something. You know, that's my point is you don't, you don't, your drive is to go, where am I prickly here? Like, I want to open myself to other ideas and know what I stand for, what I don't do agree with, don't agree with, or maybe change my mind about something I thought I didn't agree with. That's excellent. That's amazing. And I think every time you just dump a comment is a waste of time that you could be better spending doing that internal work. Yes. The, and then the, the, having the guy on your podcast. Yeah. It's super cool. Yeah. I think what you're saying is like the, the, the urge to do those comments is the same as the urge to eat junk food or watch porn. Exactly. It's going it's, to, exactly. it's, it's a way to self-manage. That's right. To self-soothe. Exactly what that is. If I can tell somebody how they should do it wrong and they're wrong and they should do it this way. A couple of times in the years before I turned off comments, somebody would say, you should do this on your video. For a couple of times, I went to their channel, zero videos. So a couple of times I wrote a comment to them and said, you know what? Why don't you, obviously you've got a good handle on this and you can do this better than I can. Do your own videos and let me know when you do. And I'd love to see them. Never a response because they're full of crap. Go get the work done yourself. See how hard it is to do a video. Put yourself out in the world and open yourself up to criticism. Then come talk to me 
about how I can do things better. You know, and that's, and that was really the beginning where I thought this is not a good model of positivity. This is not going to help anybody grow. Right on. So. All right. I think, I think let's, let's wrap there. So okay. since this is, this is your first time on Riverside, I tell you that we have to keep the page open until it's, Fine. until you see the confetti come down. Very exciting. It will, it will tell, <laughs> on my birthday. It will tell you you are, you are fully uploaded. You're, you're in the cloud now. Excellent. Great. Good. Now, good. So I'll just hit leave studio and then I'll just leave the browser open. That's it. I, bu- okay. I believe. Cool. Well, such, so great seeing you. And thank you for having me on. Oh, thank you. And thank you for your patience while I uh, stopped snoozing and, and woke up to your book. Yeah, no worries. At least you got there. No, it was good to hear from you. Thanks. All right. Take care, Sid. Show notes with a lovely photo of Sid Garza Hillman and a link to buy his book, Six Truths, and his other books at plantyourself.com slash 507. Again, no new news, so let's go right to thanks. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatterley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious Michelle, X Elsbeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Kelly Cameron, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franz, Jeanette Benham, Gila Sert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Val Lineman, Nick Harper, Bandana Chali, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Sharon Hirschman, Linda Ayad, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olikoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Peter W. Evans, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Leenan, Patty D. Martino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Billbury Elf, Marjorie Lewis, Trisha Adams, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gullage, Laura Heaton, Meg for Mama Says, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Paranganchi. Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, Sarah Johnson, Catherine Floyd, for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends. 